TV show, Lucifer, uh, the devil, has escaped hell and is living in Los Angeles. <laughs> he runs his own nightclub, and he also helps the L.A. police department solve crimes. With his mer- <laughs> this, this is the most ridiculous TV concept that I've ever encountered. Please do not watch this TV show. But with Lucifer's miraculous ability to get people to admit to their deepest and darkest desires, Lucifer proves surprisingly useful to the L.A. Police Department in murder investigations. Okay. If I were to ask you the question that Lucifer does in that scene, though, how would you answer? What is your deepest desire? What is the thing or the things that you have wanted more than anything else? Have you wondered? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever said it out loud? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a thing at all? Is it a relationship? Is it an experience? Is it a condition? What do you truly desire? Desire is something that every human being experiences in life, but desire is a very, very complicated notion. Desires can motivate us to achieve uh, truly great things, but desires can also get us into big trouble. As Christians, how do we think about desires? What do we do with them? Uh, When are desires good? When are they bad? These are some of the questions that I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, We just kicked off a new series last week called Sin, What Is It Really? Uh, The word sin, big important word in Christianity. Sin is a problem. Sin is what ruins our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our world. Sin is why Jesus had to come on earth to die. But what is sin really? The word's a super religious word that many of us have heard and used since we were kids, but do we understand it? And that's what this series is all about. We, don't, we want to understand sin. We want to understand sin because only by doing so can we really appreciate the importance of what Jesus came to do in dying to free us of sin. Uh, only by understanding sin can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit who wants to purge us of sin. Only by understanding sin can we truly be motivated to preach the gospel to a world awash in sin. So we're talking about sin. But we're not talking about sin by defining it as a theological word. As uh, Jeremy astutely pointed out last week, the Bible never really defines sin. What the Bible does, it describes sin using pictures and stories and images. And that's what this series is about. We're looking at the many ways that the Bible describes sin. The Bible describes sin as wandering, as bondage, as rebellion, as dead, as infection, as pollution, as lawlessness. And the Bible also describes sin as desire. Now, a desire is a wish or a longing to acquire or experience something that we believe will make our lives better. Now, whether or not it will actually make our lives better is a little bit of an open question, but we believe that it will if at just at least temporarily. And desires are universal to the human race. To be a human being is to have desires. Desires are one of the ways that our brains and bodies work to stay alive. We desire food, uh, companionship, shelter, fulfillment. And it's our desire for these things that motivates us to pursue them and stay alive and even thrive as people. It's even our desires which mark us as divine. 
One of the reasons that we have desires is because we were created in the image of God. And God is a God of will, of desire. God wants things. God wants things passionately. We see this in Jesus, the image of God on earth. God came to earth because he longed to be with us. Jesus looked out on the crowds of of Jerusalem, and he said this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And when Jesus gathered his disciples together on the week of his death, he said, I have eagerly desired, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. God himself is a God of passionate desire. We have desires because we were made in his image. There's nothing wrong with desires. Where things go wrong with desire is when we desire the wrong things or don't desire the right things enough or even desire the right things too much. And that's what I want to talk about with you this morning, how desire goes wrong. From the earliest pages of the Bible, the story of sin was told as a story of desire gone wrong. In the book of Genesis, God creates a garden for man and woman, Adam and Eve. God fills the garden with all kinds of good things to eat and enjoy without guilt. God tells them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. God even gave Adam and Eve to each other that they could know intimacy and union with each other in a fruitful pursuit of sexual desire. So the garden was a gift God gave to Adam and Eve where they could follow their desires, but God did give them some guardrails. The Garden of Eden was not to be a drunken bacchanalia. They would need to, a bacchanalia, you know what a bacchanalia is? Crazy Roman party? Ever been to one of those? Bacchanalia? Yeah, me neither. No, don't go. Adam and Eve, though, would need to exercise some self-control. God put in the middle of the garden a tree which would test them. A tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As God tells them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, why did God put this deadly tree in the garden? It's like me putting poisonous cookies on the table in the kitchen, telling my children, not to eat the poisonous cookies, which might kill them. Why would I do that? Why would I not put the poisonous cookies up on the top shelf where they could not reach them? Why would I not just throw the poisonous cookies away in the trash can? Why would I even make poisonous cookies? (laughs) Why would God put this tree that might kill his children in the middle of the garden? Fair question. Theologians seem to have been wrestling with this one for a long time. And what seems to be the case is that God felt the need to test Adam and Eve. God was giving them a chance to prove that they could remain in the garden for eternity. Because to remain in the garden, let alone for you and I, to remain in heaven when we get there, it will require a certain amount of testing, a certain amount of moral maturity. Now, of course, Adam and Eve did not pass this test at the prompting of the serpents, uh, the young newlyweds. They reconsider God's instructions. 
Yeah, we can eat from any tree in the garden, but, you know, none look as good as the fruit from that tree, the forbidden tree, the tree that God said we could not eat from, especially now that God has said we can't eat from it. That's how sin works, right? Don't do that. Oh, suddenly, that's the thing I want to do. As the author writes, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and lust to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she ate it. And when she did, and after the man had also eaten, their eyes were open, they were ashamed of their nakedness. God discovered their disobedience. He banished them from the garden where, kept from the tree of life, they slowly died. Now, the lesson of Eden is not that desire is bad. It's that desire for the wrong things can be bad, even deadly. And we see the story play out through the rest of Scripture. We see desire of the same kind get people into trouble. In fact, let me show you something really interesting. Uh, the, the author of Genesis writes that the woman saw the fruit and she took some and ate it. She saw it and she took it. What's really interesting is that this exact same Hebrew verb or word construction is used at other moments of, th- of sin throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 34, for example, when Shechem sees Dinah, what does he do? He sees her and he takes her. In Joshua 7, When Achan sees the plunder from the Israelite victory that God said not to touch, what does he do? He sees it. He takes it. In the story of David and Bathsheba, David sees Bathsheba and he takes Bathsheba. And it's these moments when people get into, uh, give into unholy desire, when everything starts falling apart, it's these moments when they slowly begin to die. All that to say, desire is not the problem. God created people with desires. To be human means to have desires and pursue them. So what's the problem? Well, when it comes to desire, I see three ways, three ways that desire can go wrong. First, as we've already illustrated, desire goes wrong when it becomes unregulated desire. This is what we see in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, not being able to control their desires. Seeing something, taking something. Unregulated desire is when we cannot control how much of something we want. It's not wrong to want these things. It's an inability to control how much of things that we want. One of my desires in life, for example, is to be well-liked by lots of people. I want to be well-regarded. I want to be respected. Nothing wrong with that. But I desire too much. I desire to be so liked that I work way too hard to keep everybody happy, which is a terrible way to be a pastor, let alone a human being. I lie awake at night thinking of what stupid things I said that day, stressing over who might not like me anymore. Greed, for example, is the word for unregulated desire of things, not wrong to want a house or food or clothes, but when we want more than we need or, or, or when we want more than what's good for us, we run into problems. Likewise, not wrong to want to have a spouse. What's wrong is to want to have another spouse. What's wrong is to want to do things with people who aren't your spouse. It's not wrong to want to have a beer. What's wrong is to want to have a case of beer. It's this unregulated desire that wreaks havoc in our lives. In fact, according to one article that I read this week, 
unregulated desire accounts for 40% of the deaths that happen in this country. Whether it's obesity, smoking, heart disease, STDs, 40% of us die because we see something and we take it. But unregulated desire is only one of the ways that desire goes wrong for us. Desire goes wrong in a couple other ways. For example, desire goes wrong when it becomes misplaced desire. What do I mean by misplaced desire? Misplaced desire is when we pursue the wrong thing, thinking that we want it instead of the thing that we don't know we actually want. And we all do this. Have you ever bought something really expensive only to realize afterwards, I don't think I wanted that. Uh, have you ever gone out to a fast food restaurant thinking you were craving, craving a big, greasy, juicy quarter pounder, only to realize afterwards that you really weren't? <laughs> On any given bad day, we make this mistake, we misplace our desires. At the end of a long day, for example, uh, I get home and I convince myself that what I really desire at this point in my life is to binge watch Netflix. Sometimes I'll get home from an elder meeting on Sunday night at like 10.30 p.m. My Sundays start at 5 a.m. in the morning, and sometimes elder meetings go until super late at night. I'll get home exhausted. And for some reason, I'll tell myself, you know what I desire right now? I desire Netflix. I desire a big bowl of cereal, and then another, and I'm going to chase it down with a Budweiser... Lucky Charms and Budweiser, and I'll stay up until 1.30 a.m. eating Lucky Charms with Budweiser and watching Parks and Recreation. What a night. What a way to cap off the Sabbath day. <laughs> now, honestly, is that what I really desire? I mean, really, do, do I feel fulfilled and alive at the end of three hours of Netflix, Budweiser, and Lucky Charms? No. Why not? Because it wasn't what I really wanted. What did I really desire? Honestly, what I really desired was to go to bed. I wanted sleep. Why did I not pursue that? I have only theories. <laughs> Honestly, I think one of the reasons I'm just so tired that my brain stops working. And I feel like I've had such a hard day. You know, I can do something completely unhealthy for a while. We all do this, though. We desire one thing that we're not aware of, and we decide to pursue that desire with something that we really don't want, and it's not even good for us. We desire intimacy. We fill it with porn. We desire approval. We become gym addicts. We desire comfort. We eat. We desire escape. We drink. Doesn't make any sense? We do it. It's like what the prophet Isaiah says. Why, why, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Who knows, but we do. Desire goes wrong when it's unregulated, when it's misplaced. Here's a third way that desire goes wrong. Desire goes wrong when it becomes unexpressed desire. Like I said, desire is good. God gives us desires. But for lots of reasons, we're not comfortable pursuing them. In certain religious circles... Desire is a sin to be repented of. The American Evangelical Church, which is the broad movement that Rooftop probably belongs to, uh, grew out of the puritanical movement of the 1600s. 
And many in the Puritan, you know, pilgrims and such, and many in the Puritanical movement believe that desire was a fire not to be messed with. It was best just to not let yourself get too interested in any worldly passions. Desire has a high probability of leading to sin, and sin is really bad. So, so cut off desire at the root. That is our theological ancestry. But it isn't just a Christian tendency. Buddhism, for example, teaches that desire leads to what? Suffering. suffering. That's an official Buddhist teaching. Desire leads to suffering. Desire leads to suffering. So what's the key to happiness? In the Buddhist tradition, it's to eliminate su- suffering. And how do you eliminate suffering? You, you meditate all the time. I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who sort of approach this as Buddhists. They have desires they don't know what to do with, so they kind of eliminate them. Some of you have desires you don't know what to do with. You stuff them down. I know a lot of you want to get married. I know a lot of you want to have children. But you're afraid it might not work out. So you keep it on the DL. Keep it on the down low. Or you tell yourself, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. If it works out, it works out. I don't really care. When you really, really do. But it's a dangerous and unhealthy decision to eliminate desire. People who suppress desire become dour, unfulfilled people, and oftentimes those desires come raging back. And there's an old movie uh, called Chocolat, for example. Remember Chocolat, starring Johnny Depp? Uh, it features a very religious and puritanical town mayor, played by Dr. Octopus from Spider Man. <laughs> uh, he, he, he lives a very repressed life in every way. And one morning, the town wakes up to find the mayor has broken into the candy store and gorged himself on chocolate. He desire, his desires caught up with him in a particularly messy episode. And it's for this reason that even the Apostle Paul tells people to pursue their desires. It is better for a man to get married than to burn with passion. It is better for a man to have like three chocolates than to break into a chocolate store. So desire is not sin. Sin happens when desire goes wrong. When it is unregulated, misplaced, unexpressed. That's when we become something other than the people God created us to be. Before we go any further, though, let's do some reflection on this point. What does sin look like for you in this respect? How has your desire gone wrong? If you're looking for a question to think about this week or a question to talk about in your small group or a question to discuss with whoever you came to church with, that's your question. How has your desire gone wrong? Can you not regulate your desires? Which ones? Do you misplace your desires? How so? What do you only think you want? Do you not express your desires? Do you shove your desires down? Which ones? Why? How has your desire gone wrong? We all have desire problems. What are yours? But hopefully having recognized those, what do we do now? Well, I have four answers to that question that I want to share with you this morning before we close in worship and prayer. First, find forgiveness. Our unregulated, misplaced, and unexpressed desires get us into trouble, and I mean capital T, trouble. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, some of you have been arrested or in prison because of your desires. Some of you have been in rehab because of your desires. Some, some of you are divorced 
because of your desires. Some of you are sick and unhealthy and dying because of your desires. The consequences of all this is that our lives are worse off. The consequences is that we are all slowly dying because what did we do? We saw something and we took it. The consequence is that we do not qualify for heaven. But this is why we're Christians. This is why. We're Christians because God loves us, even as the sinners we are. We're Christians because God can forgive sin. This is why Jesus came to earth. Paul puts it this way. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save, yeah, just say me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save me, a sinner. The first thing we need to do here, the first thing we need to do at any point is to find forgiveness. I told you a moment ago that, that we have desires because God does. And there's nothing more that God desires than to show sinners mercy. As the book of Hosea says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And as Paul writes, it does not depend on human desire or effort, but God, on God's mercy. No matter how much you have screwed your life up by letting your desires get the best of you, you can be forgiven. You can be baptized. You can be washed clean of all your sins. God desires that for you more than you can ever possibly imagine. God desires to show you mercy. Let him show you mercy. Find forgiveness. Second, deny desire. I'll clarify this in a second, but... Part of being a Christian is knowing which desires to pursue and which not to and mustering the strength to resist. Going back to the Garden of Eden, uh, Eve had a son named Cain. Cain also had some desire problems. He desired acceptance. He filled it with violence, murdered his brother. God showed him mercy. And he also came down and coached him through. Said, here's what you got to do, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Here's what he says. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Just like Adam and Eve were told to rule over creation. That's gone. We'll rule over creation later. But right now, rule over sin. And as Paul writes in the book of Romans... Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in, in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying there are desires and temptations inside of us, desires of the flesh, that we all know clearly are not good for us. We need to not pursue them. Uh, we need to not even think about them. Now, this is difficult. Even Paul admits this is difficult. As Paul says in Romans 7, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Even Paul is admitting to finding it difficult to put his fleshly desires to death. Our, our desires for goodness are sort of eclipsed and overwhelmed by our desires for evil. We all know this feeling, right? Your desires for goodness completely overwhelmed by your desires for evil. We all know this feeling, right? And it's a terrible place to be. It's an absolutely terrible place to be. And we all know what it's like. The devil knows exactly, exactly how to tempt us into sin. The devil doesn't even have to ask us, what do you deeply desire? <laughs> devil doesn't even have to ask us that question. He knows, just watches us. 
Just checks our browser history. Hmm. Devil knows exactly how to tempt us. And he just sets it right there in front of us. If it's lust, he knows what that is. If it's food, he knows what that is. If it's sleep, if it's laziness, whatever it is, the devil knows it. And against those temptations, just so we're on the same page, we are powerless. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life? You will. When you realize you are powerless before what the devil knows about you. So do we have any hope? Yes, thank you. But where is our hope? Our hope is in the spirit. And this is Paul's point. On our own, we are helpless, but we are not on our own. As he writes to the Romans, as Paul writes to the Romans, the the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And he writes to the Galatians, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm going to say that slower. (laughs) Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm telling you, it is only... It is only by the Spirit of God that I have not given into my own sinful desire. It is only by the Spirit of God that I am not a divorced, drunken, lazy, greedy man. Now, how do we walk by the Spirit? How do you do that? Well, we have to invite the Spirit into our lives every day. We've got to hold our hands out every day. We've got to ask God desperately for help. We've got to cultivate the spirit. We've got to have people aware of what we're battling, aware of what we're struggling with, and praying for us. We've got to stay filled up with the word of the spirit. We've got to do that in the confidence of knowing that God can actually help us overcome what he's told us we can. I don't know if you actually believe this, but by the power of the spirit, you can actually become the saint that Jesus died to make you. But you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to do it by the power of the Spirit of God. Deny desire by the power of the Spirit. Find forgiveness. Third, pursue passion. Like I mentioned, the answer to our desire problem is not to stuff desires down. God gives us desires and passions for a reason. We should pursue them in the right way within the guardrails God provides. Sex is a good thing. Sex is a great thing. But it's a great thing within God's guardrails. In marriage, with a spouse of the opposite sex, material goods are a good thing. Material goods are a great thing. We can pursue them, but not in a greedy way and in a way that allows us to bless others. Many of the desires God gives us are perfectly godly. We should pursue them. Even Paul says to the Corinthians, eagerly desire the greater gifts. There are things that are worth desiring. As long as your passions don't become an idol, and as long as they're not sinful, assume that they are given to you by God and go after them. First, you need to know what they are, though. And here, I think some discernment and some counseling could be very beneficial. A lot of us do not actually know what we want in life. We were never really taught that it's okay to want things. We were never really talked through what we want and what's okay not to. I would hazard the guess that a sizable number of people in this room uh, do not actually know what they want out of life. Now, you can live a perfectly happy life without really, truly knowing what you want. But your happiness won't be real joy. 
Your sense of fulfillment won't go very deep. And your experience of God, your experience of God, the power of God, will be meh. But I'm telling you, Jesus did not come into the world so that you could know meh. Jesus came into the world so that you could know life and life to the full. Right? Not meh. In order to really know life to the full, though, you got to know what you really want. And you got to really want it. I'm thinking of a story in Mark chapter 10 uh, when Jesus is walking through Jericho and this blind guy named Bartimaeus hears about him, calls him over. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops, hears him, goes over. And Jesus asks him the most ridiculous question. You know what Jesus asked this blind guy? What do you want? Um, I'm blind. I want to see. Why would Jesus ask him such a ridiculous question? Because not every blind man wants to see. I've known too many blind people don't want to see. I've known too many sick people don't want to get well. I've known too many sinners who just want to keep sinning. And I know a lot of people who don't even know what they want. So question, what do you want? What do you want? Goodness of God poured into your life. Victory over your sin. Healing. Happy marriage. Godly children. What do you want? What do I want? I've been thinking about that all week. What do I want? Well, I want to be so, not so addicted to other people's opinions of me. I want to not get so stressed out all the time. I want to be done with lust and fear forever. I want to remember all the incredible things in Scripture that I read every morning. You know, I read these beautiful things in Scripture and then I forget them. I'm like, oh, I forgot again. I want to remember. I want rooftop to keep growing as a place of power and transformation. I want to start another couple churches. I want us to start another couple churches together. I want my kids to grow up godly and marry beautiful godly people, if that's what they want. I want to find a cure to the disease that killed my son. I want to see him again. In the arms of Jesus. That's what I want. That's what I want. What do you want? Do you even know? For the love of God, find out. And pursue it. The kingdom of God on earth needs you to pursue your passions. That's how this is going to happen. By the power of God. Pursue your passions. And lastly... Find forgiveness, deny desire, pursue passion. Lastly, crave Christ. I don't need to linger on this point, but it is my most important one. So yeah, the things we desire in life are important. But all that we really desire is found in Christ alone. What I mean is, even if we achieve everything we truly long for in life, what then? So your cancer goes away. Still going to die. So you reach the pinnacle of your career. Still going to end. So you get married. Not going to last. God knows this. God knows that anything we really truly desire here on earth really, really, really can't fulfill. It's only Christ that satisfies our craving. Only he can give us the hope of new life. He is what we truly want. Even if we don't even know it, he is what we truly want. 
As the prophet Isaiah writes, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name, your renown are the desire of our hearts. Our brains might desire success. Our loins might desire progeny. Our hands might desire work. But our hearts, our hearts desire Jesus. It's like that old song that I used to sing in college. That old cheesy song that we couldn't stop singing, As the Deer. Remember this cheesy song? As the Deer. Based on Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. For you alone are my strength, my shield. You alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Some of us know that. Some of us know that all our hearts really desire is Jesus. Some of us don't. We think we want to be married. What we really want is Jesus. We think we want success. What we really want is Jesus. We think we want food. What we really want is Jesus. Jesus alone can meet our needs in a way that nothing else can. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus is available to you. He is available to you right now. He's available to you this morning. Jesus is not something that you truly desire but cannot have. Jesus is not like the pie that your mom made but you can't eat till later. Jesus is not the bonus that you've earned, but you can't get it till the end of the year. Jesus is everything you desire, and you can have him right now. If you want him, you can have him right now. You just ask him to come into your life. You just admit to him, Lord, I've desired many things in life, but I know now you're the only one, the only thing I really need. You tell him that. You tell him that every day, and Jesus will fulfill you in ways that nothing else can. We're going to sing a song. And I invite you to take it as an opportunity to tell Jesus for the first time, for the umpteenth time, that all you really want in life is him. Submit all your desires to him. Let him be the fulfillment of everything you've truly wanted.